0: Alright, let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you that you are a God who knows all things. And that there's there's nothing, and there has never been anything, and there will never be anything that surprises you. Because you knew it all before the foundation of the world. God, I pray today that as we look at your word together and and seek to learn from from what you've done uh in the history of your creation uh, that that we would put ourselves under your word instead of trying to put ourselves over it that that we would as we see you uh, pour out judgment on, on Tyre and, and Sidon in Isaiah 23, that, that that we wouldn't question your ability to do that, uh, but that we would see in your word the truth that you did do that and that you caused it to happen, that you purposed it to happen, and it was for your glory so that you could bring about your redemptive plan that, that we all get to participate in. So, Help us today to submit ourselves to your word, to to learn from you and then respond to you in worship for for what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do in your creation for your glory and for our good. God, we thank you that you sent your son, that you are, are full of compassion and abounding in mercy and grace and steadfast love and that. We get to witness that in the person of Christ on the cross. Even as we long for his return to make all things new and all things right. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. All right, where are all the kids at today? Because you're in here, you're not in Kids Connect. All right, kids, today what we're talking about is we are talking about God kind of pouring out judgment on this nation of people. And uh, this nation is, was, was called Tyre, kind of like a tire on your car, but it was a city. And this city was a well-known city in the ancient world that sent ships and boats all around the region to, to trade. Does anybody know what trade is? What's trade? What do you think, Landon? All right. So you get things by giving somebody something, right? So like if you had a baseball card that I wanted, I would give you a baseball card that you wanted, right? That's trading. Yeah, that's exactly like what they did. Only Tyre had tons and tons and tons and tons of stuff. They had lots of money. They had lots of food. And so they went all around the world trading what they had. And because of that, there were people all around the world that depended upon Tyre. And so one of the things we're going to find out in our passage is that when God kind of pours out judgment on them, it doesn't just affect them. It affects people all over the world. Um, And in doing that, he's letting people know that it doesn't matter how much stuff you have. It doesn't matter if you have all the stuff. Even if you have all the stuff, you still don't have what God has. Right, because sometimes we think that like if if I've got all the baseball cards, then I don't need anything from someone else. I don't need to trade anybody any baseball cards because I've got them all. So I'm kind of I have everything I need. Entire thought they had all they needed. They thought that they were fine. They thought that they would kind of exist forever as a world power that had what everybody else wanted. But what they find out in our passage today as God pours out judgment on them is that they didn't have what they needed. What they needed was trust in the Lord. What they needed was dependence on him because he was the one who was in control of all things. He was the one who owned everything that they thought they owned. Uh, and so, kids, I would encourage you to go home and talk to your parents about how they are tempted to trust in the things that they have, how they are tempted to look at their savings or their finances or their house or their cars or their things uh, and trust in those things instead of trust in God. And parents, I would encourage you to to have that conversation with your kids uh, and be real and be honest and Uh, help them learn to value God more than things and value other people more than things, uh, even as they see you try to do it and fail at times. Um, If you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Isaiah 23. We're going to read the whole passage to, to kind of start it off this morning. The oracle concerning Tyre. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is laid waste, without house or harbor. From the land of Cyprus it is revealed to them. Be still, O inhabitants of the coast. The merchants of Sidon who crossed the sea have filled you. And on many waters your revenue was the grain of Shior, the harvest of the Nile. You were the merchant of the nations." Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken, the stronghold of the sea, saying, I have neither labored nor given birth, I have neither reared young men nor brought up young women. When the report comes to Egypt, they will be in anguish over the report about Tyre. Cross over to Tarshish, wail, O inhabitants of the coast, is this your exultant city? whose origin is from days of old, whose feet carried her to settle far away. Who has purposed this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth? The Lord of hosts has purposed it to defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the honored of the earth. Cross over your land like the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish, there is no restraint anymore. He has stretched out his hand over the sea, he has shaken the kingdoms. The Lord has given command concerning Canaan to destroy its strongholds. And he said, you will no more exalt, O oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, cross over to Cyprus, even there you will have no rest." Behold, the land of the Chaldeans, this is the people that was not. Assyria destined it for wild beasts. They erected their siege towers. They stripped her palaces bare. They made her a ruin. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is laid waste. In that day Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, like the days of one king. At the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the prostitute. Take a harp. Go about the city, O forgotten prostitute, make sweet melody, sing many songs that you may be remembered. At the end of 70 years, the Lord will visit Tyre, and she will return to her wages and will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. Her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord. So today, obviously, we're back in the book of Isaiah, and it's been a bit since we've been in the book of Isaiah. It's tell you, uh, give you a little recap about where we've been. Um, The first section of Isaiah was chapters 1 through 12, and it was kind of, you know, introducing the book, telling us about what it was that Isaiah was going to spend 66 chapters prophesying about. So what... What he did was he, in the first 12 chapters, what he's doing is he's telling about how God's judgment is going to come against his people because they failed to trust in him instead of the. To other nations all around him. They've turned to uh, Assyria, and then when Assyria was found out that they were going to be the threat, they ended up trusting in all the other nations around them. And so God's point is that he's going to pour out judgment on them. uh, And that's kind of what he's telling them in the first 12 chapters. He's telling them about this judgment that's going to come, but after this judgment, uh, he also kind of sprinkles throughout the first 12 chapters these glimpses of salvation that's going to come. There's hope, even in the face of the judgment that's going to come. And so in chapter two, he he tells us that the mountain of the Lord is going to be made the highest of all the mountains and the nations are going to stream to the mountain of the Lord in order to get the wisdom and the peace that's there. And then in chapter 4, he talks about how the branch of the Lord is going to be made beautiful and glorious. There's going to be salvation that's going to come out of Israel, not just for its people, but for the whole world. And then in chapter 7-9, through nine, we find out about this, this great light that is coming into the world in the form of a, of a baby. And this baby is going to be this great king who's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and like his His kingdom and his peace, it's not going to have any end. And then in chapter 10, we find out that even after God pours out judgment on his people at the hands of Assyria, there's going to be a remnant of people that are left, that are going to trust in the Lord. And when we get to the end of the section, it kind of peaks in chapters 11 and 12, when we find out more about this king that's going to come, and he's going to bring God's kingdom into the world and God's salvation into the world, and he's going to be. The kind of king that Israel has always longed for, and that all the nations have always longed for. And then we got to chapter 13. And in chapter 13, Isaiah kind of shifts his focus. He's no longer focused on Israel and Judah, kind of his his own land. He starts talking about all the other nations around him. And so there's just this long series of oracles against other nations. So he talks about Babylon and he talks about Egypt. He talks about Moab. He talks about Philistia. And then in today's passage, he talks about Tyre and Sidon. And this section kind of runs all the way to the end of chapter 27, where, where the focus isn't so much on Israel and Judah, but it's on all the other nations around them. And what's happening there is that he's... he's... He's calling God's people to trust, not in any of these other nations for help, but to trust in the Lord. And so Isaiah is trying to communicate to these people that they shouldn't trust in these other nations because these other nations are going to fall too. And so he starts with Babylon. And he starts with Babylon in chapter 13, because Babylon was kind of the, the, the symbol in the ancient world for cultural dominance. like they were the people that had it together with their culture and they had it together with their military. If there was any nation that you wanted to be like with your military and your culture, it was Babylon. So he started there and then he moves on to talk about all the other nations kind of immediately around them and he ends with our chapter today in chapter 23 about Tyr and Sidon. the reason why I think he ends Ends with them is because they're kind of the other bookend. It starts with Babylon, who's this symbol of cultural dominance, and it ends with Tyre and Sidon, who are a symbol of economic dominance they were the wealthiest of the wealthy. They were kind of proverbial known proverbially known throughout the ancient world as a symbol of wealth and, and kind of prideful wealth. We have what we need. We don't need anything else. If you need anything, come to Tiran and Sidon because we have it and we can give it to you. Uh, and So that's, that's kind of why he finishes here. He goes all around the world and he finishes with this nation which was known for its wealth. Um, And we're going to come back next week and start 24 through 27, which is kind of like Isaiah's apocalypse. He's talked about all these individual nations. Then he's going to talk about how God's going to judge the entire world in chapters 24 through 27. But even there, there's going to be hope. There's going to be salvation. So today's passage, chapter 23, it's an oracle about Tyre and Sidon. It falls into two sections. The first 14 verses are just focusing on Tyre's fall. Like, they're going down, this is how they're going down. This is why they're going down. Then, in the last four verses of the chapter, it comes to talk about how they're going to rise up again. They're not going to stay down, but when they rise, their purpose is going to be a little different. And so, the first 14 verses talk about the fall. And it starts and ends with this phrase, Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is laid waste. Tarshish... Uh, it's hard to say. And uh, what it was is it was one of the far-flung colonies around the world. So Phoenicia was a, was kind of a world power. Tyr and Sidon are two of its leading cities. And they, uh, kind of like England used to do, wanted to kind of spread their power all around the world. And so uh, Tarshish was one of kind of their furthest colonies in what is now Spain. And so the reason why he starts and ends with wailing for the ships of Tarshish is because they were fully dependent upon Tyre and Sidon. The ships would go back to Tyre and Sidon to get food, to get supplies, to get things they needed, and they would take them back to that far kind of flung out colony in order to provide what the people needed to live the kind of lives that they lived and survive. And so it starts with this note of wailing because they're finding out about it and they don't have a harbor to return to. Then he moves on as the kind of news spreads around the world. Uh, it's it's revealed to them from the land of Cyprus. Then he says, Be still, O inhabitants of the coast. And the reason why they're still is because they're silent, because their supply of food is gone. The merchants of Sidon who crossed the sea have filled you. Uh, he goes on, to talk about how, uh, their, their revenue was from the grain of Shire, the harvest of the Nile. They, they got stuff from, uh, Egypt and they spread it around the world. And so all this news is just kind of spreading around the world that this, these two major cities have fallen. Uh, he goes on to talk about the sea itself, kind of lamenting the fact that the people of Tyre and Sidon are no longer upon the waters. When the report comes down to Egypt, there'll be an anguish over the report of Tyre because they recognize what they stood to lose economically from the fall of Tyre and Sidon. And he crosses over to Tarshish and news finally, in verse 7, gets out to this far-flung colony and they find out just how bad their situation is. The point that Isaiah is trying to make in 1 through 7 as he's talking about this news kind of going around the world is that this destruction didn't just affect the people that lived in these two cities. It affected people all around the world. So it wasn't just about pouring out judgment on this one nation, this one city, and, and it just only affecting their people. It affected people all around the Mediterranean world. Uh, one scholar I read said that the fall of Tyre would have been like the devastating effects of a stock market crash. You know, so if you think about it, if, if the stock market just kind of imploded, uh, it would affect all of us in major ways. And it also wouldn't just affect people that lived in the U.S., it would affect people all around the world because of our economic position in the world. This is, this is what Isaiah is describing. Because these two cities are taken out, uh, their entire economic system is, is kind of destroyed along with them. And so the question that I think this should, should kind of lead us to as we hear about this destruction that's poured out on these cities and not just these cities and the people that live there, but the people all around the world is, is what is the cause of this? What's the reason for this? Why has this happened? Just like he asks in verse 8, Who has purposed this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders traders were the honored of the earth? So who's caused this to happen? Well, he answers it in verses 9 through 12. And you should all either look at the screen or look at your Bible because I don't want you to think that I'm making this up. The Lord of hosts has purposed it to defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the honored of the earth. Cross over your land like the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no restraint anymore. He, the Lord, has stretched out his hand over the sea. He has shaken the kingdoms. The Lord has given command concerning Canaan to destroy its strongholds. And he has said, you will exalt no more, O oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, cross over to Cyprus, even there you will have no rest. So the answer of who's caused this to happen, who's planned this, who's determined this to take place, just like we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about God's will. It's that God has purposed this. The Lord of Hosts has planned this. He's the one orchestrating. He's the one who's decreed what's going to take place. And he even says that even if, you know, the people should 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 flee to Cyprus, but even as they flee to Cyprus, they're not going to find rest there. Um, Isaiah is communicating to his people and to us through God's word that the Lord is the one who's orchestrating the events of history for his purposes. It's not out of control. It's not surprising him. It doesn't catch him off guard. It's not something that he has to react or respond to. It's something that he has purposed and he has planned. And now he's just announcing it to the world so that they know what has taken place. And again, that's what Isaiah tells us in verse 8. It moves on to talk about what comes next. Uh, it says, Behold, the land of the Chaldeans, this is the people that was not. Assyria destined it for wild beasts. They erected their siege tower. They stripped her palaces bare. They made her a ruin. So here Isaiah is referring back to kind of what happened to Babylon. And it's because this is an announcement. Right, He's not just describing what has happened. He's describing what will happen and what it's going to be like. And so as he's announcing this to Tyre and Sidon, he's saying the Babylon's have already been taken out. Assyria has has taken them down. And so the point for Tyre is to say, if, if they can fall, so can you. They were known for cultural and military dominance. You're just known for your money. And your money can't buy you out of this situation because their military and their culture couldn't get them out of theirs. He finishes by bringing it back to the beginning in verse 14. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is laid waste. Then he moves in verse 15 to talk about what comes next. In that day Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years. Like the days of one king, at the end of 70 years it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the prostitute. Seventy years here is just kind of a, a a round number to describe a long but a limited time. It's often used in literature during this time to to carry that kind of a meaning. It's Just saying it's, it's going to be a while. They're going to be down for a while, but that's going to end. Um, I don't think we have to push this to a little literal seventy year time um, because uh, scripture just doesn't do that in every place. I think sometimes when it uses seventy, it means seventy, but sometimes it. Doesn't. Uh, so if that's confusing to you, you know, welcome to poetic parts of the Bible. And then he says Af- after 70 years, they're going to rise up and it's going to happen to them as in the song of the prostitute. Take a heart, harp, go about the city, O oh forgotten prostitute, make a sweet melody, sing many songs that you may remember, or that you may be remembered. And then he explains this in verse 17. "At the end of 70 years, the Lord will visit Tyre, and she will return to her wages and will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth." So what's going to happen is, after this 70-year period, this long but limited time, Tyre's going to rise back up, and they're going to return to their ways. They're going to prostitute themselves. They're going to do anything and everything for money and for wealth so that they can build themselves back up. They're going to begin doing the same things that they were doing before, but what's going to happen now is going to be different. Verse 18, Her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord. I think his point is as he leads into this kind of worldwide judgment that's coming in 24 through 27 is that at the end of all things, their money isn't going to be theirs anymore. Those who pursue wealth in this world don't get to keep it at the end. Instead, it comes to God so that he can use it for what he wants to. So I think that there's a, uh, you know, this is a biblical mandate for redistribution of wealth is what I'm saying. <laughs> Not what it's saying. Uh, The point is that wealth is temporary and it doesn't last. And so why would we give all that we are for it? Why would we prostitute ourselves for wealth and money? Um, He's using that imagery, that metaphor, to show us just how bad materialism and consumerism can be. We We don't look at it as if it's us prostituting ourselves for money but so often we cave in on our integrity or what we know is right or what we know we should do or shouldn't do for the sake of dollars and cents. I think he's using this imagery to kind of wake us up out of that and call us out of that. So Tyre is going to have judgment poured out on them. A judgment is going to affect not just them, but people all around the world. After a long period, they're going to rise back up, they're going to keep doing the same thing they were doing. Judgment's going to come again, and their money's going to be taken from them. The question is, what's the point for us? Right? We, don't, we don't live in Tir and Sidon. Um, and I think that one thing we need to remember, because it's, it's, you know, it's been a while since we've gone through any of these oracles, is that these weren't written to these nations. Right? Isaiah, as he's writing you know, chapter 23 in his Hebrew manuscript, he's not addressing that to Tir and Sidon. He's addressing that to his own people. He wants them to read all these oracles about all these other nations, not so that they can say, ah, ha, ha, look look what's going to happen to them, but so that they can see that all these other nations are going to have judgment poured out on them. So why would they turn to them? Why would they trust them? Why would they be tempted to trust in Babylon and their their cultural dominance and their military power because God's going to pour out judgment on them? Why would they turn to the nations around them and trust in them and hope that they're going to deliver them from these enemies that are coming because God's going to pour out judgment on them? Why would they look to Tyr and say, Done and think, well, maybe if we get these people with all this money on our side, then everything's going to be okay because God's going to pour out judgment on them. He's calling his people to see the fruitlessness of trusting in anything other than God for deliverance from what they're facing. He's calling his people to trust in him. And he's showing them how pointless it is to trust in anything other than the Lord, because he's the one that's in control of everything that's happening in the world. And so what we should do, uh, especially as we kind of begin next week to think about the fact that his judgment is going to come on on all nations, not just the ones that he's mentioned in these last few chapters, is I think it should cause us to think about what is it that we trust in other than the Lord. Um, And I don't know you all well enough to know what your things are. You know, is it comfort? Is it escaping? Is it money? Is it work? Is it your kids? Is it... You know Netflix. What is it that you turn to other than the Lord? I don't know all of you well enough to know what those things are, but I do know myself well enough, and I know human beings well enough to know that every single one of you has something or a few things that you trust in other than the Lord. And so what I would encourage you to do uh, after hearing about Tyre and how God pours out judgment on them, and he does it uh, and, and tells his people about it so that they're called to trust him, is I would encourage you to have a conversation with someone who does know you. That after today's passage, after hearing about Isaiah 23, after you know, all these series of oracles that we've gone through together as a church, that you would sit down and talk with someone and get real about the things that you turn to other than the Lord that you would encourage each other and call each other to trust in the Lord and that you would kind of talk through and dialogue through the reasons why the things that you trust in aren't trustworthy and aren't going to satisfy you. Because anything that we turn to other than him is going to fail. Even that person that we have that conversation with. And that's why we exist in community with one another. That's why having relationships with people is so important. Because we learn primarily not by listening, but by processing stuff with other people in the context of community. The reason why I think God has joined us together as a body is because you all don't struggle with what I struggle with. Or even if we do struggle with the same things, we struggle with them in different ways. And so uh, I can encourage you towards obedience in your thing because that's an area in which God has given me the grace of obedience in. And you can encourage me to obey and trust him in the ways that I'm not because he's given you the grace of trusting him in those ways. And so sit down with people, talk about these things, have these conversations because we are all the time tempted to look to things other than the Lord. And so pray for one another, talk with one another. Um, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, I would encourage you to think about the, the truth of what the gospel represents, um, especially in light of this passage, because it's really easy to read a passage like this, especially in the Old Testament, and think, you know, like, how, how could God have planned this event that, that poured out destruction on a city, and then affected people all around the world? Like, how, how can he pour out his judgment on these people, um, and that be, that be fair, or that be right, or that be a good thing to do? That, that just, it just doesn't seem like the God of the Bible to me. Um, and my response would be, is that if, if that doesn't seem fair to you, then everything the Lord's Supper represents doesn't seem fair to you because it's it's on the cross that God pours out judgment uh, against all of our sin, past, present, and future, against all of my sin and all of your sin, uh, on the only person in the history of the world that was innocent and didn't deserve it. And so we can't look at Tyre and Saddam and say, that's just not fair. The cross wasn't fair. But God, in his graciousness and in his justice, created a way that we, who are imperfect, who are sinful, who are lawbreakers, could become righteous. And so, as you take the Lord's Supper today, I would just encourage you to marvel at God's graciousness and his justice even though in our flawed understanding and our sinfulness and our flesh, we're prone to look at it and think that he is unjust. He is the only one who is just. And he's so just that he provided a way of grace for us to be made right, even though we're not. So I'm going to pray. Somebody's going to come and play some music. If you're new to BC, if you've never been here before, the way we celebrate the Lord's Supper is is the, the juice and the bread slash cracker, is laid out on two tables in the front. Um, You don't have to be a member of this church. Uh, You just need to be somebody who's trusted in Christ for forgiveness of your sins because that's what we're celebrating. If you haven't done that, then you don't understand what it's like to celebrate that. Uh, And So I would encourage you to take some time uh, to prepare your heart to celebrate his death on your behalf, and then whenever you're ready, Mm -hmm. just come forward, go to one of the tables, and then return to your seat so that this can be a time of worship for, for everybody. And if, if you're here today, and you're someone who's, who's not going to take the Lord's Supper, um, either because you're a Christian and you feel like you have reasons to sit out, or because you're not a Christian, I, I would love to talk to you about those things and encourage you with what it means to trust in Christ as we take the Lord's Supper together. So let's pray. Father, once again, I thank you that you are in control of all things, and that nothing surprises you. And that we can be comforted knowing that even when things happen in this world that we don't understand, and we can't wrap our minds around, that we don't have to worry or wonder or be anxious that somehow things have gotten out of your control or or somehow things caught you off guard. But that we get stories uh, and promises and truths in your word, that tell us and remind us again and again and again that when things happen in history, that you are the one who's in control. God, I pray that you would help us to to learn from judgment that you poured out on a nation long ago, that we would be reminded to trust in you above all things and all people. Help us to, to have a conversation with someone and many conversations after that, calling one another towards repentance and towards trusting you wholly, not leaning on ourselves or anything else. I pray that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, that you would remind us of how on the cross you poured out our punishment on Jesus, that he bore the wrath that we should have bared, that he took the punishment that that, that should have been on us so that we could be made right, that his righteous life counts for us. Help us to celebrate your graciousness and justice working side by side on the cross.